I so enjoyed this morning's devotional. I hear Peter give devotionals many, many times, and I'm always extremely blessed. And we emphasize Jesus because we believe that the power of health ministry is not in the materials, but it's in the spirit in which that material is given. And I hope that in your ministry, you will be able to always incorporate the spirit of Jesus Christ in, in whatever you do. <clears throat> the The topic that we're going to talk about this morning is the topic of human sexuality. I believe this is something that is often grossly under-talked about in Seventh-day Adventist churches. And we don't talk about it because we think it's somehow a little bit dirty somehow maybe a little sinful, somehow an expression of our carnal nature. And what we fail to realize that sexuality is God's good gift. If we understood it as the gift that it is in the context with which he framed it, we would have a totally different look and uh, outline as to what sexuality is. I don't know as pastors when you last preached a sermon that incorporated human sexuality and preached it from the pulpit. I, I'm not asking you uh, to put your hands up, but it seems to me that one of the effects of feeling that it is maybe slightly taboo to be talked about is that our young people are growing up without any advice or admonition as to how they ought to behave. And I told you yesterday how my father, a very good evangelist, a, a, a powerful pastor, pastor evangelist, he uh, one time was running the New Gallery Center when we had an evangelistic center in London. That was he, he, he was there. George Vanderman started it. When George Vanderman came back, uh, then the British pastors, and they would have to go and run that evangelistic center. <coughs> he didn't t teach me about sexuality. Probably because his parents were Victorian. My grandparents were very Victorian. Some things were just not mentioned just not mentioned. Consequently, things are sometimes not mentioned, but just done in another kind of another silo of our personality. We compartmentalize our lives into such a way that, you know, we have the church compartment, and we have the work compartment, and we have the sexual compartment, and what Peter was saying, Jesus Christ needs to be present in every compartment. And he is the creator, so he understands it all. Now, the objectives that I want to talk to, I want to provide you an overview of sexual relationships. I want to give you insights, especially as you may be consulted as consultants and guides, as counselors, as leaders in the church. And I want you to recognize 
when appropriate referral may be necessary. Sometimes we think we can do it all ourselves. We don't have that capacity. I learned very rapidly the beauty of the multi-specialties is that when I see somebody who complains of chest pain, I say, I'm so glad that Dr. Landless is here because he's a cardiologist. And he knows when somebody comes and complaining about menstrual flow, he says, I'm so glad that you can be referred to the gynecologist. You see, <clears throat> and pastors, you need to realize <clears throat> that there are certain situations that you can deal with like a general practitioner. But there are other situations where referral is the most appropriate thing to do. The first thing to realize about sexuality is that it is not just physical. It's become just physical. Satan would have sexuality become just a, a physical act and therefore remove it from a moral context, remove it from a family, social context, and place it as a physical act. To do so is to denigrate it. The emotional, the social, the spiritual components are involved in the sexual activity. And to function just on one plane is to miss out on holistic, whole person care and approach to sexuality. Now, human sexuality is important because, as Peter pointed out, we have a need for connectedness. Children are born with a need to connect. I remember seeing a child in the wards of the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, which is Canada's major referral center. All the children would come to the Hospital for Sick Children, the, the difficult cases. Here was a child, failure to thrive, and nobody seemed able to find a, a problem. We did all kinds of tests. We screened for amino acidopathies, so we did the urine uh, electrophoresis. We looked for liver tests, kidney tests, brain tests. We we must have spent thousands of dollars screening that child until one day we noticed that the child had put on six ounces. And we kept weighing it and we found the child was beginning to gain and it was beginning to feed, it was beginning to thrive. And we looked at it and we, we said, you know, that rather buxom nurse with those rather big bosoms is holding that child and nurturing that child in the comfort of her arms. And what the child was failing to thrive for was that it was emotionally deprived. It was a state of emotional deprivation. After thousands of dollars, it was the warmth and caring of a loving nurse that made that child feel secure. Growing numbers of Americans, children, and adolescents are failing to flourish. They fail to flourish because they are not given the appropriate emotional security, love, and attention. They are growing up in dysfunctional homes where perhaps the mother is a single mother and has to go out and work and the, she's doing everything she can to take care of the physical needs of the child, to put food on the table, to buy the correct kind of running shoes that happen to be in vogue that way and to give the right clothes, whether the legs, the, the shorts go so long 
and they, they hang so much that they look like the backside of an elephant when they're walking in the schoolyard, but they have, to, they have to provide all the things. And yet they fail to give the love and attention and the emotional required in hardwired to connect, which is a result of a study done. It said, growing numbers of U.S. children and adolescents are failing to flourish and increasing proportions are suffering from mental illness, emotional distress, and behavioral problems. I'm not saying this off the top of my head. I'm quoting here uh, a, a, a study. The society is under attack. There's a failure to understand the problem of fidelity. People get married. Two, three, four. We used to think when Elizabeth Taylor was getting married six times that she was some kind of, you know, licensed uh, prostitute. But it's so common now because people enter into the marital relationship. It's really just a, an occasion to have a party, the wedding. And, and so it is the sacredness of marriage. The institution of marriage is under attack. One of the reasons that we stand up and talk about the sacredness of the institution of marriage has nothing to do with our concepts or concerns about homosexuals. It has to do with the sacredness of what marriage is all about and the fears that we have of the children who are growing up in a world where sexual activity is the norm outside of marriage, where it's just about the same as shaking hands, where it is not really given the, 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 the meaning that God meant for it to have. The bonds of a marital relationship exist to secure for all parties the marriage, family, the security afforded by the responsibility and accountability to each other. You know, an authoritative society is a society, not an authoritarian society. See, an authoritarian society could be a fascist society. Hitler's was an authoritarian society. He dictated what you had to do. An authoritative society is one in which members commit to values and agree to be responsible for and accountable to other members for their behavior. An authoritarian Authoritative society is a democratic society functioning in agreed upon rules. And an authoritative society is vastly, diff is, is vastly different from the sort of society we see in America today, where anything goes, each man for himself, every woman for herself. Human sexuality plays a central role and a foundational role in securing for society the stability and accountability necessary for the health of individuals. You see, we as a society have to help each other. Now we go back to the Bible and we see the primacy of the, we see the primacy of the marital bond where God says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the prime, number one relationship, human relationship. It is a sacred relationship because it brings the security 
of the marital bond and marital relationship, not just to the couple, but to the family, to the greater family, to the church, to the community, to the nation. And when we don't have that strength and security, our nations become weak. The marital relationship flourishes only when there is honesty and integrity. When we talk about celebrations, in the I in celebrations is not interpersonal relationships, that's the S on the end. We are talking about integrity. Where in health ministries do we talk about integrity? About the need for a character personality that dictates how we live. Integrity is part of health. And in the marital relationship, honesty and integrity are so important. There's a difference between honesty and integrity. You know, honesty is the, is the sort of thing that if I've, had a merit, if I've had an extramarital relationship, I will be honest. Somebody asked me, have you had an extramarital relationship? I will be honest and say, yes, I have. That's honest. But integrity is that which means that I will not have the extramarital relationship. So that's why we stress integrity. It's not a matter of admitting or being honest about something. You know, there are many people who think if they're honest about something, they can do whatever they like. But it's integrity that we're calling for, so that the values and the principles are so inculcated into our thinking that they actually modify our behavior. So integrity is very important. Integrity is important when, I, when I'm going to tell my patients about caffeine and breast pain, like I told you. That's, that's integrity too. So integrity permeates the whole of our being. There must be total respect. I had an I had a, a young lady came work for me in my office as, a, as a, she was going to be one of the re receptionists and help in the office, just in general. When she first came, she was beautiful. She was a, a be such a beautiful girl. To tell you the truth, I looked at her and we, I said to Janet, I don't know whether she's too, she's sort of like too film starish. You know, she really was film starish. So I took who I thought was probably the number two person of those applicants that had come. I took number two. I said, you know, she looks like she'll be more uh, easier with the patients, you know, be able to react with the patients. But she, we worked so hard. She said, Dr. Handysides, I had no idea that this was such a busy office. I, 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 it's not the sort of job I want. This is a hard job. So I phoned back to this other girl and I said, uh, have you found a job yet? Are you still interested? Because we, she, she said, no, I'm still looking for the job. She came and she, she, she worked in our office. But she had a boyfriend. And we, I used to take the staff, you know, get, have special days. And one day I, would, I took them down to, 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 uh, 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 to, to uh, what was that, St. Catherine's. Yeah, to St. Catherine's and we had lunch out. You know, we had a day out. Another time I would take them up to the cottage and... And so when she came to the cottage, she bought, brought her boyfriend with her. And the boyfriend, he was so derogatory, so disrespectful. Here was this beautiful girl, a lovely girl. And he would say, oh, you couldn't do that, Catherine, because, you know, you don't expect Catherine. She can't do that. And I, I, I thought, how can they be a boyfriend and a girlfriend when all he does, all I ever hear him say is to criticize her? Have you ever seen a couple where the one rolls their eyes? You know, the one speaking, the other one goes like that. That is a sign of total disrespect. Whenever you see one spouse roll the eyes about the other one, then you know there's trouble. 
because the foundation requires honesty, integrity, and total respect, a lifetime commitment, deep and supportive love, nurturing, supportive attitudes. You know, I got up today, I was brushing my teeth, and my wife came into the washroom behind me, and you know what she did? She puts her hand on my back, and she just does that. All right, the support, even though we're sort of I'm not looking very good, and she's just coming in, you know, out of bed, but she puts her hand, there is support, see? So these attributes will satisfy each other's needs. Now I'm going to talk about an evolutionist. Not because I'm going to promote what he says, but he was a scientist. This guy doesn't believe in God, but he stated categorically that the human sexual relationships are totally different from animal relationships. So here's an evolutionist saying, there's something different. That's a good thing for us to be able to quote. Not that we believe everything he says, but he's noticed that there's a difference. And he said there are 12 steps in human sexual bonding process. He's an anthropologist. He studies human behavior. So it's very interesting. He said human sexual bonding process. So he goes through it. He says the steps are sequential. That means one step follows another step. Very important that we know this. He says that the strength of the relationship depends upon the reinforcement of each step in the process. So that the process is followed in sexual relationships by the repeated following of these steps. One step missed and you will find that the bond of human sexuality is reduced. The bond is not as strong. If you're mixing together to make a, uh, a, 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 uh, an epoxy glue, for example, you have to follow the, the, the steps. It has to be done the right way. You can't say, oh, it says mix one and one. I'm just going to mix a little, little bit of this. You won't end up, the, the bond to be strong has to follow these serial steps. Once step seven is reached, sexual arousal begins. And he stated that humans seem to be intrinsically programmed for these steps. I suppose an evolutionist might say it's an instinct. But let's have a little look at these things. Step by step, each step brings its rewarding sensations. Brain chemicals are involved. This is not physical, it's also mental in the input, sensory input, and they cement in the memory certain patterns. Those of us who've been married for a long time know there are certain patterns that we have established, but there are certain basic fundamental steps. It's important, very important for you as counselors and as pastors and youth advisors to recognize that all future relationships tend, tend to move, now listen to this, prematurely to the same highest step experienced in a previous relationship. Do you follow that? So we have a divorced man, maybe a divorced young man, and he takes up with a young unmarried woman. What is there in his mind? He wants to move prematurely through all the steps. But if the relationship is going to be good, those steps have to be 
bonded through all the steps. A young man goes out and he, he reaches maybe far into the steps with one girl and they break it up and he starts another relationship. The tendency is he is going to want to move prematurely to the highest step that he experienced with the previous relationship. Important information for you to think about, especially when it comes to counseling our young people. Now, step one. Step one Step one is the look of discovery. You know, it's very interesting. We seem to have built-in attractions. You know, there are certain things about certain people that are, that are uh, kind of attractive, but as I look around this room and, and I look at the face of a certain person here, uh, you know, I notice that person, you see. This is the look of discovery. And I, and, and, and I look at that person, and I go around the room, and, you know, I actually happen uh, to look at her again, you know. That is step one, the look of discovery. Kids do it all the time. They come to a classroom, go to the cafeteria. They're looking around the cafeteria. The guy's looking around the cafeteria, and he looks, and, you know, there's just a look of discovery. It's only step one. It's nothing, but it starts with the look. Yeah. Is that look, is it, is it biological that you noticed a particular? I don't know. It's cultural, probably. It's, it's your upbringing. It's, your, it's, 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 it's the, the totality of who you are, see? That you, that you may be, you know, like that particular person. In fact, some girls who, who, who maybe always go for the, for, for the tyrannical, controlling, wife-beating male may have built back in their psyches some, some, some way that they recognize that character. And, they, and, and, and this look, you know, this look that I'm showing you, the look as to where it belongs in this particular group today, this look, you see, this look is reflective of all our background. Now, that's just the first step. The next thing is that the object of attention becomes aware of the look. It's not just the object of attention. There's an advert that's advertising. Now, I've got to try and think what it is because I was intrigued. It's in, there, it, 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 it's in the restaurant, and, and, and they show a picture of the girl's foot, and she says, oh, I can see he's really into him. And, and meanwhile, the guy's talking about some kind of food. That he, and they says, oh, and I look at the... And, and, and he's just... So it's not only the interactive pair, others may recognize these steps. And I'm hoping that you, as pastors, will recognize these steps and it make you more intuitive and insightful as to what's going on with the young people in your congregation. The step two is that the object of attention becomes aware and she's just returning the look, you see. She's looking back, all right? So the object of attention returns the look. That's Step two. Now, sometimes they return the thing and they get disgusted. They're annoyed. And, and what are you staring at, you know? Maybe, maybe they talk. But, they, but it's, they've gone from step one to step two. They have returned the look. So it's an eye-to-eye eye step. We might say the eye to the eye. You know, some people, I can be looking around here and talk, lecturing to you, but as I talk, every now and again, I do eye contact, and you know that I've made eye contact with you. See, and when I've made that eye contact with you, you know I looked at you, and you recognized it, and you look back. 
that's that's similar, but it's not necessarily very sexual. Remember, I, but it's the beginning. It's the beginning. Now, the next thing is they want to engage in talk. That that recognition leads to the thing that we that they want to talk. Now, young kids, you know, just go back. You can remember when you were young kids. So you say you say to your friend Peter. Do you think she likes me? And she says, yeah, man, she's really into it. She really likes you. I, she, she really, Peter, why don't you call her and ask her, if, uh, ask her if she likes me, just casually. Don't make it too obvious. Like, you know, but just, just ask her. And so, so, so Peter says, says to her, she says, he says, do you know that guy, Handy Sidestick? They mistake me for him. What, what is there about, do you know that guy? And she says, jerk. Or, or she says, yeah, I like him. He's, he's, he's a nice guy. He's, whatever the, the reaction, the talk. So then I, I'm encouraged, and I pick up the phone, and I say, do I happen to know who's talking to you today? Huh? Hmm? I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you from uh, India. I'm just calling to, you know, she says, come off it, Alan Handysides. I know who you are. But I, but I was so embarrassed, you see, I, I was playing around, and I was joking around. But, but I wanted to initiate talk. And, and the young kids, they do that. They, know, they stand around there, and, they, and they're talking like this in the corridor of the church before Sabbath school starts. And they're all <laughs> talking and they're laughing. <laughs> and they're making big. But the guy, you know, he's looking, you know. He's looking, and she's looking back to him, and, and hopefully, after a little while, they, they, they can start to talk. You know, how they talk depends on how, how timid he is, how scared he is. Maybe he comes on with, <coughs> you know, and he wants to behave like a gorilla, or, or, or maybe he's a real gentleman. But the, the step is that they are wanting to talk. Is there a question? Oh, yes, stay in the camera. So, all right, all right. So here we've got the first three steps. They encourage communication. Many marriages suffer because that talk, we want to talk, never, ever got anywhere. They didn't learn to talk. They didn't get past the gorilla kind of manifestations and be able to sit down and just talk. Communication is the bedrock of a good marriage. And if we don't have enough looking at each other and smiling at each other and returning the smile, and she's still embarrassed when I do it. <laughs> it's important. It's impo you know, I look at her and I say, sweetheart, you look beautiful. That's a genuine, honest expression. She say, thank you for saying so, but uh, you're the only one who thinks so. Doesn't matter that I'm the only one that thinks so. Sweetheart, you look beautiful, you see? It's an honest communication. It's very important that we learn to communicate. Many marriages suffer because people can't communicate. The guy comes home, and what does he do? He goes to the computer. He sits at his computer. The wife's been preparing supper for him. She shouts through, honey, the, 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 the supper's ready. Yeah, just a minute. And he waits and waits, and the dinner's on the table. She says, it's getting cold. That's the only communication. Meanwhile, he's working on his, on his, on his computer, and it's just let me finish this. And he's doing, well, I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's playing some kind of game there. You know, he's got to try and get a little bop bop to beep beep through some other little hole hole. You know, I mean, he's doing it some kind of ridiculous stuff, and, and, and here's his wife in the kitchen covered with flour, you know, her hair all free. She's got this beautiful, and the, the guy's paying her no attention. 
The guy didn't learn how to communicate. He didn't learn step three. Step four is our picture. Come, Janet. Let's see step four. You know, what they do is you, you actually, she, you take her out to Olive Garden, see? And she's sitting down at Olive Garden. She's, bring your chair over here. Bring your chair over. And there she is sitting at Olive Gardens, you know, and, and the first time, we, we, we now have gotten to the point that we're talking, see? We're talking very nicely. Sit just over that side. And, and we're sitting talking and saying, well, did you have a good day? And she says, yeah, I had a really good day. And uh, what were you doing? Oh, you should have seen that patient. The head nurse was terrible. She tried to make the, the kid eat its own vomit because she thought he was vomiting on purpose. She said, I had to go and see the... <laughs> what? She says, yeah, I went, I went to see the, you know, the head nurse and reported her. I thought it was, oh, sweetheart, put your hand on this table, love. And, and I say, that... That is just so sorry. I'm so sorry, you see. I, what did I do? I just, I'm so sorry, you know. And I said, I'm really so sorry. And I, 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 I'm sorry you had a bad day. And I'm really just enjoying touching her, you know. And she's soft and I can feel the warmth of her hand. And, you know, actually, it won't be long before I won't let go of that hand because when we go for a walk on the beach like that couple in the picture, you know, we'll be walking along... And we are now at step four. We're holding hands. So you can tell the extent of the relationship. It's not explicitly romantic. It's not explicitly romantic. But you can see there is a sense of a growing friendship. Now, in some countries, in Africa, for example, the men... Yeah, you can go and sit down. The men will walk hand in hand. It's not a sexual relationship. This is step four of friendship, see? They're holding hands. Now, we're, we've got such taboos that, that uh, you know, we would not hold hands. But, but for a male and a female in our culture to be holding hands, you know that they're about step four in a relationship. Innocent, no problem. You know, we used to say, there must be no outward display of affection, you know, in our, in our colleges. They wouldn't even allow them to hold hands. But it's only this step here. This is where you're at, step four. It's public in nature. It's unashamed. There is, there's, there's nothing to hide. They're just good friends. Step five. Now, if you see a couple walking along the beach, and, and this is why I said she had to stay today. You know, it goes from holding hands and walking like this to it goes to, you know, you see, now this is hand to shoulder. We're good buddies, you see. We're, we're, we're good, good buddies. Actually, she's, she's doing more. She's, because we are at a, a further stage, you notice where her hand is, okay? Her hand is, is this is arm to shoulder. This is, oh. this is step five, see? Arm to shoulder, you see? You can actually just watch, you can watch couples and see where the relationship is, see? She can't keep her hand off me, see? So, so she, arm to shoulder. It's okay. not a hug. It's not a hug. It's just a supple, a subtle display of friendship, all right? Now, this phase is a good phase for young people to spend a lot of time in. Because now they know each other, they've recognized each other, they hand in hand, they've got hand on the shoulder, that's fine. If the relationship stays at this stage, 
this is very good because they're talking about all kinds of things. He's talking about his interest in antique cars and he's got a Model T, 1937, his uncle's got, he helped put chrome on it. And you sometimes, when you listen to the talk that the young people are doing, you think, how can she be putting up with such boring talk? Boring. You know, that, that's what you think. But you see, this couple, they're just talking because they're in this phase of, of just... Step five, arm to shoulder, a time for communication. Step three, the, the, this is all very well because as the longer a person spends exploring each other's backgrounds, feelings, ideals, and so forth, then we're doing. And then, you see, that's why I told you that my wife had jumped from step five to step Six, because she, when she was walking with me, it was not arm to shoulder. Now it was drawing each other closer. You see? There was the drawing each other closer we had. Uh, uh, there we are, you see. And, and so the, the, the hand to waist, you see? And the, we can bump. The hand to waist. Yes. Eyes to eyes. And often you'll see them talking like this, you know. And it's the eyes to eyes. And it's the bodies to bodies, you see? Now the relationship is closer. So now you watch your young people and you take them out to the beach and there's a couple doing this. That's a, that's a couple that you better say, hey, you know, look at what's going on here. <laughs> there's, there's more than just this simple friendship. They are now starting to share secrets. This is why in your home you'd better be very careful what you do in your home because the young people will, will tell it all to somebody that they're in a relationship at stage six. Secrets start to be revealed. You know, they'll start to say, you know, my, my, my dad, you know, he, he doesn't eat meat except... So, so the secrets are going to be revealed. So we've got step six. So we've seen progress. But progress beyond step seven, beyond step six, is a point at which there now become the possibilities of hurt. When we promote pro progress in a friendship beyond this stage, especially a heterosexual relationship, beyond this stage where we are really this close, the possibility becomes very real, very real for there to be hurt and for there to be a need, if they break up, if they break up, for them to be some kind of healing. In fact, Donald Joy, who wrote the book Bonding Relationships in the Image of God, he said that step six is the last exit on the highway of bonding relationships that can be ended without there having to be serious grief work. Now that's important for you. Because if you've got couples in your church who break up and they've gone further than this, and you will know if you know have watched the relationship, you're going to know that they are going to have to have very careful grief work. They're going to have to get over this. And it's people that uh, come into this, it's those who don't accept the sanctity of marriage, who think it's merely a physical reaction. They think that, you know, it's just a pursuit of pleasure. And for to hear me talk about this, they'd say, yo, you're off your, you're an old man. 
That's your trouble. You're out of date. You don't understand the modern society. But many of the problems facing the modern society are coming because people are unsuccessfully trying to make human sexuality merely a physical interaction. The fact of the matter is that for women especially, it can never be just a physical interaction. It will always cause mental and emotional problems, especially when they get past that step. Now, if, if a relationship is, is going beyond step six, there are certain questions that need to be asked, and we need to tell our young people this. They need to ask themselves, am I ready for a committed relationship? You know, a 16-year-old is not ready for a committed relationship. A 22-year-old has to ask themselves, her or himself, am I ready for a committed relationship? And then we have to, in all that talk and that conversation and the sharing of secrets, do my companions' values, beliefs, and vision complement and enrich my own? You know, when we go for the physical side of things, this beautiful, beautiful girl might attract this most erudite, uh, ordinary-looking uh, guy, a nerdish guy. But she may be an airhead and has really no interest. He's got to start to say to himself, you know, is this going to be? Or likewise, the girl who has ideas of studying and going on, and she's married this guy, and this guy's quite content to drive taxi all his life. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with driving taxi all your life, but there has to be a compatibility in the goals and aspirations, and even young people sense this. They, they know this. But if their parents tell them they're going to rebel, if the pastor and the counselor talks about this, if they can talk about this in, in youth meetings, in, in, we are helping our young people to come to an understanding of what sexuality is about. Do we agree on life roles for women and men? The problem that I would have, quite frankly, if I were suddenly transformed by some kind of Rip Van Winkle process, and I, and I was put in today, the young women of today have a totally different set of expectations from what I have as a male growing up the way I did. My wife and I are beautifully matched, but she has her roles and I have mine. Now, she can get me to wash the dishes with her and do things with her, but I don't naturally see those as my duty. My son, on the other hand, gets up, makes breakfast for the kids, gets them all ready for school, drives them off to school, takes them. You know, he's got a totally different mindset and, he, and more power to him. I'm not, but it's just that we have to say, where am I coming from? What is my mindset? My father always used to say, a woman from the West should never marry a man from the East. And I'd say, what do you mean? He said, well, you take an American woman, if she marries a Russian male, she's going to be in trouble. Both of them are in trouble. Because he will be expecting this, that, and everything else, and she will be expecting this, that, and they won't get it. Whereas if you had a, an American male marrying maybe the Russian woman, he's going to be doing so many things. Maybe she even thinks he's a wimp. See, there's the possibility. So you have to say, do we agree on the roles? And then, am I locked into a distorted view, and is my partner? There are some people have strange ideas about what they're going to do in life. If, if, if 
One person is saying, I want to be a missionary, and I'm going to go and do a self-supporting mission, and I want to do this and this and this, and good things. But the other partner is saying, well, I want to teach in the college, and I want to get my PhD, and I want... You know, they've got differences. This is why it's important that we do. Then the other question is, do we bring out the best in each other? Some couples are competitive. Oh, you know, you've got a PhD, I'm going to get a PhD. You think you, 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 you're the leader? I'm going to be the leader. And, and, and the, the life becomes a competition. That's going to omen well, poorly, for a good marriage. Do we view each other as having a place and a role of our own rather than being just for the per partner's use? I used to hate it when patients come to me and say, I was using Dr. So-and-so, and now I thought I'd try to use you. I don't want to be used as a doctor, let alone as a husband. I want to, to be of service, but we don't want to be used. If there's a negative answer at this stage, it's best to back off. Perhaps it's best to say, you're a good friend. We both deserve someone who can dream our dreams with us. So that's the question. Can this person dream the dreams with you? You see, people say, I put my husband through medical school. I put him through dental school, and then he after taking all of that, he divorced me. Maybe because the woman did not keep up with him, you see. She was working, she was paying, but her interests were in whatever she was doing. She was maybe a waitress at, at, at one of the restaurants, earning the money. Sure, she was putting him through, she was doing very good things for him. But the question is, is that going to, is that going to be mutually dreaming together. Very important things. At this midpoint, any sexual intimacy prior to the strong foundation that I've talked about is going to be founded on less than a desirable foundation. In Adventist Home, Mrs. White said, early marriage is not to be encouraged. A relationship so important and so far-reaching in its results should not be entered into hastily without sufficient preparation and before the mental and physical powers are well developed. She said, boys and girls enter into the marriage relationship with unripe love, immature judgment, without noble, elevated feelings, and take upon themselves the marriage vows wholly led by their boyish and girlish emotions. What advice? She said, a youth not out of his teens is a poor judge of the fitness of a person as young as himself to be his companion for life. Human love can never bear its precious fruit until it is united with the divine nature and trained to grow heavenward. Only when Christ reigns. Do you see why we're putting such an emphasis in our devotions on Christ? Only when Christ reigns can there be deep, true, unselfish love. And then we come step seven. This is mouth to mouth. Now, this... I'm. Now, come here. This... <laughs> this... There's time and place for all things. This is not the socially acceptable kiss on the cheek. You know, when I go to France, they go like this. That's not the kiss I'm talking about. It's not even this. So good to see you. That's not what we're talking about. The kiss mouth to mouth. And I'm not going to dememonstrate for you oh, any more than she wants me to. But, but the kiss, 
The kiss is stage seven. <laughs> and it is at this stage that you will notice, I said, sexual arousal may take place. This is not those things. This is the first step of a sexually stimulating courtship. That's why we talk to young people and we say, you know, these displays of, of human affection, uh, of, of sexual intimacy, they're not good. I was at Andrews and saw a couple making out on the, on the, on the, on the, on the seat in the, in the public lounge, and I thought to myself, man, I'll tell you, if they'll do this in public, I wonder what they do in private. You, know? yeah, you see? So, so we, need, we need to advise people to, to stay public, to share their dates with others. We need to organize activities for our young people where they can go as groups, and couples, but there is always the chaperones of the trusted, worthy, confident. It's very important to try to get these young people to be able to talk to a mentor. Now, Dr. Landless always says, I'm not his mentor, I'm his tour mentor. But we, we have to be careful. <laughs> we have to be careful that, we, that we, we don't create situations that throw these young people out. And in church life, we have to look after it. This church should be a time of major analysis. Major emotion, passion can be a dangerous. And this is not just binding, but blinding force. So it can be binding, but it can also be blinding. Step eight is the hand to the head. Here the face, lips, hair, and ears are fondled. You know, it's very interesting. I notice when I'm driving in the car, that very often my wife will put her hand, and while I'm driving, don't do it now, <laughs> but she will have her hand, you know, messing with my hair. <laughs> Let me tell you, nobody but my wife touches my head. Think about yours. I don't touch your head. Yeah, see? I don't put my, my hands through you, anybody's hair. See, this... This head, hand-to-head step is a very intimate step. It's not what we might think of as overtly sexual, but it is a very intimate step. <coughs> when you see people and you're preaching, and the wife is, or hopefully it's the wife, is putting her hand through her husband's hair, it's a very intimate step that she's demonstrating there. It, it's step eight. Whoever touches our head must be close to us. I remember my father holding my head when perhaps I would be vomiting as a child into the toilet bowl, and he would hold my head. But <clears throat> if I was sick <coughs> in a ward and vomiting, I wouldn't expect the nurse to be holding my head. I'd hold my own head. Step nine, I don't know who's driving this boat. Some of these pictures were selected by my assistant. <clears throat> I'll tell you. They're heading for troubles, all right? They're heading for troubles. There's got to be somebody driving the boat. Hand to body. You see the hand to body. That's what we're seeing here. Mouth to mouth, hand to body. At this stage, people now are treasuring the imperfections of the other. Dobson, you know, you've heard of Dobson. Dobson's father died. And when he died, Dobson's mother went in to the room, the hospital room where he died. She was in there for about 
40 minutes. So finally, one of the other family members said, I wonder what's happened with Mum. We'd better go in and see what's happened. And when they went in, <coughs> they found that the mother was, was looking at the father and was noticing every little imperfection and had gone over the whole body of her husband, noticed and had touched <laughs> everything. I'm not dead. And had gone and looked at the toes. She was saying goodbye to all the imperfections that she had accepted in him. There was a young woman who broke it up after a very close relationship, engagement, thought she was going to be married. And they broke up. And the pastor says, don't worry about it. There's many fish in the sea. What poor advice. She said to him, you don't understand. I'd even come to accept his stove-in chest and his crooked toes. At this stage, they are accepting the imperfections, that which have become lovable, the crooked teeth. Yes, they've become lovable. Birthmarks, plumpness. Had, or by this stage, these have become lovable characteristics. Step 10. She's got it the same picture, I guess that might be. Mouth to breast. Now we enter into the really sexual, sexual characteristics. And these are the mouth, these are the stages. You're a mature audience. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this. It's mouth to breast. The couple is really ready for, for marriage. This couple would be best now to be getting married. And then, of course, it becomes in marriage. There's the commitment and dedication to unity, the building of depth and trust. There's an agreement between the parties, the security for children. We've got an environment of mutual security. The bond of marriage brings even more joy and satisfaction as they go to the explicitly what we call naked and unashamed mode. You know, naked and unashamed. A, a married couple, when they first get married, and they, 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 that, that's a very uncomfortable first night. When you've been married like my wife and I for 45 years, actually, I don't even notice whether she's naked or not. I know she's unashamed, all right? Because one becomes so close, one has become bonded because we've gone by the mouth to breast. Now, there's no other species of animal that has this mouth to breast phase. It seems to be explicitly human. I don't understand what it is, but it's there. Naked and unashamed stimulates the release of oxytocin, the hormone that is caused by the stimulation of the breast. And oxytocin is felt to be the hormone that lays the background for the release of, of, of the orgasmic reaction. So orgasm is a result of the oxytocin, which is the stimulation of the breast that is giving rise to that. And full body contact is an integral part of the full consummation of human love. Final stage is hand to genital, a penultimate step, and then caressing in a non-threatening, gentle way. Now, I, I stress this a little bit. There's many men who don't understand the need for gentleness, 
They don't understand the need for this to be a non-threatening. They don't understand that you can't arouse a woman with rough and horrible, hard, grasping, groping types of movement. This has to be a truly affectionate approach to sexual activity. Male rushing, the aggression, the, 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 you know, the sort of conquest, it, it spoils it for the woman. And, and, and our, uh, in our churches, I, I, well, in our offices, often women would come in and say, I just don't seem to get any sexual, uh, being sexually aroused. And I would, as you went into the, the situation, you would find that maybe they were having the, the whole sexual activity that would have, it was bim, bam, bom, and it was done in five minutes, the whole thing. And that there's not going to be any arousal of a woman in, in, in five minutes. It has to be the culmination of all this that has gone before it. So when you're counseling, especially counseling men, men are driven sometimes by this sense that they have to function. In fact, a lot of erectile dysfunction has nothing to do with a hormonal or an anatomical problem. It has to do with this, uh, this, this need to be able to perform. And the performance demands that are placed upon a male, and especially by a demeaning woman who, who says, ah, oh, you just don't have, you know, what a game, you can't, can't find. You know, that sort of attitude is going to so demean the man that he's going to feel, I'm hopeless. And he will then become impotent. So, so the mental characteristics, this has to be a gentle act. The completion of the sexual union in the security of commitment, privacy, consent. Society allows the couple to have this, blessing this union in the church before God and these witnesses, that these people have dedicated themselves to this union, which is symbolic of the union of Christ and His church. It is so intimate. One flesh. Step 12 may be better directed by the female. Sometimes it's better for the female to, 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 to advise and give control than it is to be directed by the men. One of the secrets to a happy marriage is the strictest loyalty and respect and confidentiality. Women who go and talk about how their husband performs in bed, they, will, they don't understand the bond. Men who boast of their triumphs in, in a bedroom, they, they haven't comprehended the intimacy, the beauty of this relationship, the desire to build one's partner. We never permit sarcasm and negative feelings to, to, to take a place in one's mind regarding one's partner. These are the sort of things that we need to talk about. And you've got in your book some of the problems, male dysfunction, psychological basis, and so forth, aging, some of the problems of aging. We've got some of the causes of erectile dysfunction and medical causes, and they're, they're listed there, the emotional causes. But I just think that if we could give to our if we could give to our uh, young people, to our church members, this type of understanding of the sexual relationship, that it is far more than just a, just a physical act. It is truly the joining of the body, mind, spirit, in a social interaction, 
that will bring children, we begin to appreciate this whole person message that we have in Adventist healthcare. Thank you very much for your attention. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.